Chapter 44 of Colonel Greatheart. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gary Ullman. Chapter 44 Friends. When the last word was said to Cromwell's prayer, when he rose with shining face, it was Ireton who thought it worthwhile to give special charge that Colonel Stow should be well guarded. Royston looked out of the corner of his eyes. Colonel Stow was hound on a lame horse and borne away through the night to Thame. Skippon, that tough veteran, jogged off to see Royston's dispositions and go the rounds. Cromwell and Fairfax let themselves think of sleep, but Ireton still peered about among the dead. You'll not envy Colonel Stow that night. Perhaps it was the best of his fortunes that his body cried out against him for weariness and pain. So in some measure, the turbulent misery of his mind was curbed. But he was whining to himself of his ill fortune. Shame for his weakness burned into him, and he felt himself branded with dishonor, dying a villain's death. He cursed all men and arraigned God. Doubtless he had not lost all. He had spoiled the devices of King Charles. Against all odds, he had won that fight. It was something of achievement to take down to death. But he had paid for it dear. Oh, there was a malign mockery in fate. Every chance and change of circumstance fought against him. When he ventured his all for an honest cause, when he worked the Puritan safety, he must needs appear their assassin. The facts condemn him. No truth could save him. For who could believe the truth? Nay, for all the world he was damned as a villain. He who pretended to honor and the soldierly heart was proven no better than a hired murderer. He must be that to all who knew his name. Father, brother, comrades, friends, a vile shame to them all. It hurt him ludicrously. He had many a year conceived himself matter for pride. He let himself laugh like a man under the knife. The good souls for whom he had strutted in showy chivalry. God save them. That Puritan parson's daughter, who thought him a kind of God. That girl at a pure brow. Would she be at the hanging? At least she would know him for a gaudy hypocrite and a villain. It was a sweet, comfortable thought. But he made it come again and again, for it hurt less than the rest. Ay, at least he might have been spared George Royston's eyes that stung behind other pain. What he had lost, life and all else, what the world proclaimed him. It irked little beside that, having no honor to wear before the friend who had betrayed him. A bravo of the camp, a hireling for murder. He was that to Royston and the woman. He seemed to hear them laugh together. Lucinda was not merciful. Mercy! God, he has fallen low to think of mercy from her. But he was crushed with shame. They would sneer at him for as ready a traitor as themselves without the wit. Fool, fool, fool. Oh, God, be good to a man who wants respect from other men. He has set his soul upon that. Though he fought for a failing cause, aye, even if his own designs blundered and went awry, he had been proud of bright honor, resolute to guard it, 
to the end, and in that resolve, glad of life, glad. He laughed at that, so that the Puritan gods rebuked him for a lewd man that Belial. Oh, doubtless he had done nothing unworthy. His honor was bright still for his eyes. What use, what profit for a man to be honest only for his own soul? With each nerve jarred and torn by the night's wild chances, with his mind sick of effort and the rack of strife, he felt common hatred crushing his heart out. Piene forte et dure. He was weak. Oh, aye, he was weak. Pray God for the refuge of the weak. Surely there was no hope of good in life. All things conspired against him with devilish craft. When he did good work, it was broken by another's folly. When he would keep his cause from villainy, he was hurled into the mire of it. When he would save his foes from death, they branded him a murderer. No hope, no hope, save to be out of it all. Was God God indeed, or the devil? In this world where good bore the fruit of vileness, raving so half mad it may be, with the body pain and weariness and the important rage of his baffled mind. He was born through the coldest hours of the night. The Puritans flung him into the town lockout at Thame and left him lying on a truss of straw. Sleep came soon, but a feverish sleep with a devil's dance of dreams. The other gentleman whom you might suppose most troubled by the chance of the night was in no such case. Colonel Royston had seen all his hopes go down the wind. His generals had contrived to keep alive, and he was but their trusty servant still, and liked to stay so. A man could not play such a game twice. The chief command was out of reach. Between him and it stood three lives at the least, each good as his, but he did not rage. He took the turn of the dice with a shrug and a silent oath or two at Strozzi's bungling throw. One matter only troubled him, the situation of Colonel Stow. He was surprised to find his friend in such an affair. To him, indeed, it was no vast villainy, but he could not well conceive Colonel Stow taking it so lightly. There was no doubting his eyes. Colonel Stowe had been in it, and, being a person of importance, must know all about it. That reflection worked upon Colonel Royston. If you expect emotion of him, you will be much disappointed. It was in the nature of the man that he should not stop to feel when there was need of thought and action. Only twice in his life, I think, a passion bore him away from the plain, practical, profitable task, and for each time, it may be, he was afterwards sorry. His first concern was to secure his own safety, but he had his feelings. If he could contrive Colonel Stowe's as well, he would be the better pleased. Since Jerry Stowe had been fool enough to be captured, there would surely be some inquest on him. In that was danger. He knew all, and it might well be for his profit to tell all. Colonel Royston felt himself on the edge of an abyss and looked down at it calmly. You should do him justice. He would venture something for his friend. But his own danger was instant. Once he thought of a trick to set Colonel Stow free that night, it was alluring, for so he linked their fortunes. So he served both. So, with a fair appearance of a friendship, he provided for himself. 
but he dared not. He was too near suspicion already. What then? Suppose a court-martial met and Ireton's lawyer brain at work. All the plot liked to come out. Colonel Stowe could have no profit in telling less than the truth. Himself had been taken in the fact. He was not likely to spare others. Nay, why should he? Royston sneered at himself. Faith, the man had small reason for kindness. It should be some pleasure in his ruin to drag Royston down too. Colonel Royston confronted the situation a while, hunched together over a campfire, and at last saw away. He lay down in his cloak and slept in peace. You'll find him early in the morning standing over the straw that made Colonel Stowe's bed. His strong, dark face moved queerly as he looked down at that storm-racked body. The clothes all dragged awry, slashed and stained, the matted hair, the blood and filth on the bruised cheek. He set his hand on Colonel Stowe's shoulder. It moved wearily. Colonel Stowe turned over and looked up at him with heavy, dull eyes, muttered something, stretched his limbs painfully, and staring still at Royston, sat up on his straw. Well, he said in a listless voice, Colonel Royston sat down beside him. He laughed. Faith, this is a condensation in the soldier of the Lord. Oh, I am not come for jest, cried Royston. Colonel Stowe laughed again on the same high note. Again, I am sorry for it. There is much matter of jesting here. Look you, Jerry. I know well enough I have dealt scurvily by you. I cannot give you the past again. By God, I would that I could. I thank you. Oh, I thank you. Pray enjoy the present. Enough of that, man. Think where we stand, you and I. We are both on the brink of peril. Both? What has your majesty to do with me? Zounds, why will you talk like a fool of a wit? You can make me smart, I'll allow you that. You have the right, too, but now we have to think of our lives. Is that all? said Colonel Stowe. You may have mine. Royston swore. We could win through yet, if you'll have sense. Oh, I know you can hang me if you blab. Maybe you would like to, and by God I could not blame you for it. But if you hang me, you hang yourself. No man but me can save you. Colonel Stowe laughed. Kind sir, conceive that I want no salvation. Faith, Jerry, I have been a bad friend enough, but I swear I am true now. For the sake of old days, hear me out. They will have a court-martial for you. Let this be your tale. You know naught of any plot of murder. You know naught of any treason here. You were bidden only to join in a night surprise, and you came with the rest. Then I'll strike in and swear I know your honor, and you're not mingle in aught ignoble unsoldiery, and I'll bring you off. All the while Colonel Stowe was staring steadily. No treason here, he repeated. No plot to murder. What talk is this? Royston saw contempt come in the grave eyes. Ah, you were the rogue let strozzi through the outpost he said and laughed i might have known there would hardly be two of your kidney i make you my compliments royston swore oh curse your foppery i am what i am but you were deep in the murder too colonel stow laughed again well i do not look for you to understand good sir conceive that my enduring comfort is to have spoiled your plot and prithee be gone you are something nauseous. What do you mean, growled Royston, flushing? 
What were you doing with Strozzi? I preserve you both from the sin of murder. Try to be graceful. Royston took a step back and glowered down at him. You came to spoil us, he muttered. And in fact, I did spoil you. Zounds, it cannot be, cried Royston. Colonel Stow shrugged. Do you suppose I care what you believe? Why then, Royston stammered, what are the generals to you? How is it your affair? Good sir, you are not able to understand. Odds heart, you do not spare me much. Royston muttered and flung back his head like a beast in pain. Colonel Stow laughed. What? It was you who fired those shots then? Colonel Stow smiled and heard Royston grit his teeth. Hollandana! How I cursed the fool that did. What a pox was it to you, then? Had you fallen out with Strassi? Nay, I find Strassi less a rogue than others. Royston frowned heavily. What in hell is it, then? Are you out with King Charles, at least? Oh, sir, it's not within your understanding. Aye, you would have your stroke back at me. Royston muttered and strode up and down the room. You'll break up my plan. Oh, damn me, it's fair. He was arrested by Colonel Stowe's laugh and turned glaring. Pray believe that you count for nothing, said Colonel Stowe. I knew of you as little as I care. There was silence a long time, and far apart, the two men eyed each other. Royston in his sturdy, soldierly neatness, Colonel Stowe in his rags and his dirt. Royston's swarthy face was working, and shadows passed his eye. But Colonel Stowe was all calm, and he smiled with a steer. Well, said Royston hoarsely, Colonel Stowe laughed. Oh, be at ease. You may live for me. You make me proud. Royston came close. He looked long into those grave eyes that were neither love nor hate. He felt the iron of scorn. Muttering something, he flung away to the door. It was long before he could make it open. Then he turned to look again at his friend. He saw that sneering smile again. He groaned and hurried out. Colonel Stowe leaned back on his straw, not much happier. He had conquered indeed, if that were anything. They had come soul to soul, and it was not he who had been humbled, if that brought any comfort. To him, the right and joy of scorn, he conquered. Again, it was a sweet triumph. The man who had fought with him, taken life of him, who had been more than blood brother, ranked with Colonel Strozzi's hired murderers. Sure, that must be heartening. Before the man had played him false, but this was a far blacker depth of villainy. Why, the fellow even bore to whine and pray for life. His soul turned sick with loathing. That was the best of a friend he had won. Sure, life was worthwhile. End of chapter 44 Recording by Gary Ullman, West Palm Beach, Florida